A note to our listeners before we get started. This story contains descriptions of assault and sexual violence, so please be advised. Previously on Verified. And as I'm being slammed up against my car, and he said to me, almost with his teeth, like, cringed, how are you going to call the damn police on the police? Do you have any idea why she was upset with you? No idea. I was very confused about the whole thing, with her behavior. Which hand? Which order? Which color? How did you feel here then? Why didn't you say this at this moment? Two years later, why did you say this here? Why did you say this in this video? Why did you say this here on the stand? It was October 2020. Abby was at home, and as usual, the TV was turned to the local evening news when this report came on the air. Now, ABC 15 investigator Dave Biscobin confirming deeply disturbing new details about that officer, Anthony Armour. The story immediately caught her attention. We obtained this internal memo showing Armour was accused of sex assault before, in 2010, by a fellow Phoenix officer. A memo from 2010? She moved up closer to the TV screen. Oh, it was awful. Um, again, I, I didn't even know the thing existed until I, I saw the news piece, and I took a screenshot of it to read it. Abby wanted to read that memo up close. You see, she knew Anthony Armour. She knew the Phoenix Police Department and this memo. This memo was about her as she started reading it, she was shocked. I thought there was a report that was investigated and closed. There was nothing. It's garbage. For 10 years, Abby trusted the system, trusted the police to treat her fairly. But now she felt betrayed. And now she was ready to fight back. I can't sit by and just allow this to go on and allow it to happen and not say something. And if it means stepping up and advocate for all these women and to advocate for others who just haven't come forward, then it will be worth it. I'm Natasha Del Toro. This is Verified. Full Disclosure. Dave Biscobing had spent months reporting on the case of Gianna Anderson and her sexual assault claim against Phoenix police officer Anthony Armour. Months digging through documents and records. I mean, I'm looking through Gianna's file, right? And then you kind of look deeper into that filing, and this is going to be... Then he spotted something that jumped right out at him. And then, you know, sitting in the, in the, in the, in the lawsuit doc, it's public record, and I'm looking through it, and I get to this memo. The memo was 10 years old. It was about a woman who ended up in the hospital. She claims that she's been sexually assaulted. And then, and then it says, oh, wow, her name's Abby Frost. She's a police officer. Abby Frost. And the alleged attacker is Officer Anthony Armour. 
Do you remember at all what what was kind of going through your mind when you when you found that in her file, in Gianna's file? When I saw it, I, I thought, I got to talk to her. I want to find her. Abby Frost always dreamed of being a cop. Oh, man, it was something I'd wanted to do ever since I was a little kid, actually. She said she had a heart for justice, for service. I just loved the idea of helping people, um, a passion for justice, a passion for doing the right thing. Um, And the adrenaline was also very um, exciting to think about. But just being able to help people on, like, the worst days of their lives was something I looked forward to. But all that started to change after what she says happened to her one night more than a decade ago. Now, I will say, Abby's story is complicated. These stories often are. It was August 20, 2010. Abby was in her mid-20s. By this point, she had two years under her belt on the police force. She loved everything about her job and the people she worked with. Most of them were men. She thought they were a good bunch of guys. I was getting my car looked at by a friend um, who is a former mechanic. He was on my squad and uh, was like a big brother to me. Um, And so he looked at the engine during the battery terminals for me and then invited me to stay for dinner with his wife and kids. She took him up on the invitation and some other police officers came over to hang out. One of them was Anthony Armour. But she didn't think of him as a buddy, like the others. They had history. I had always been uncomfortable around him. He, um, prior to this, had made advances to want to date me and got my phone number in a super creepy way and would call and text me constantly. And I I even had to say to him, leave me alone. Like, if you don't stop, I'm going to report you to a supervisor. I don't want to date you. And he backed off. Even though he made her uneasy, Abby figured she'd stick around. She felt safe with a large group of friends around her. Abby says she was just about to have a beer when Armour came over and offered her a different kind of drink. And said, try this. I said, no, I'm good. I have a beer. He got a little bit more aggressive in my face and said, try this. And I said, no, I'm good. And he got even closer and through his teeth, he said, nobody says no to me. Try it and like shoved it in my face. So to avoid a scene, to avoid just feeling uncomfortable, I took it and I drank it. And that's kind of when my memory started to slip a little bit. She started losing her grasp on what was going on. There are faint memories of being in the pool with some of her friends. The next memory that I have is, again, like a snapshot. I'm slumped over a chair in the backyard and I can't lift my head. And I just remember having the thought, why can't I move? Like I'm completely incapacitated right now. Then the next, then it goes black. Abby had a sense that she threw up. She remembers two people holding her up cleaning her off, and putting her to bed at her friend's house. The next thing she knew, she was waking up on that bed. There were no sheets, no blankets. And there was some faint 
early morning light kind of coming through and on a dresser in the corner was a, a, a digital alarm clock. And in red letters, it said five something in the morning. And that was when I noticed um, that Anthony was on top of me and he was having sex with me. So um, I like put my hands on his chest to push him away and said, what are you doing? And then it's just black again. Abby says she was still in and out of consciousness, and Armour actually ended up driving her to his house. By the time they got there, whatever it was that had affected her brain was wearing off, and her instincts started kicking in. And I go in the bathroom, and I'm sitting in his bathroom and thinking, I need to get out of here. Like, I just, I can't be here. I need to get out of here. At the time all this happened, Abby was on her period, using a tampon. When she got home, she tried to take it out, but she couldn't. That's when she decided she needed to go to the hospital. When I told them how it got dislodged, um, they said, it sounds like you were sexually assaulted. It sounds like you were raped. And I said, yeah, I agree. I mean, as a woman, you know, that's not something you do. You don't have sex with a tampon in. Um, And so that's not something I've ever done. According to the hospital records, Abby described being sexually assaulted. The nurse did a physical examination and tested Abby for drugs. Those records also show there was no sign of drugs or alcohol in her system. That same nurse said, I have to call Phoenix police. And I remember just taking a deep breath and saying, please don't call. Please, like, please don't. And they said we're required to. And I paused again and I said, I work for Phoenix police. I am a Phoenix police officer. Please don't call. Even though she was dreading it, she decided it would be better to call her sergeant herself to tell him what happened. Next thing you know, six police officers showed up at the hospital. My sergeant, lieutenant, an assistant chief, um, our professional standards bureau, our special investigations division. And I mean, it was intimidating. They're in uniform and These are people that, some that I know, because it's my boss and um, a a female lieutenant who'd worked in the same precinct, but I didn't know the other people. I didn't, I've never met them before in my life. And um, I had to sit there and tell them one of the most embarrassing, personal, like intimate things that just happened to me. And it was, it was awful. The whole ordeal lasted hours. Eventually, they moved her to a private room with just one detective, and he asked her a few more questions, taking notes as she went through the whole story all over again. Abby remembers telling him the same things that she'd told the others, that she was sexually assaulted by Anthony Armour, that she was so drunk that she thought she might have been drugged, and the details about the tampon. And then, she says, he cut to the chase. He said to me, you have five minutes to decide if you want to press charges because I have crime scenes to secure and search warrants to write. Five minutes to decide. I mean, it 
what was running through my mind at the time was like, who talks to victims like this? Like, I've never, ever talked to a victim like this. I've never treated a woman, anybody, whether it's a, a bike theft or any other crime. You don't, you don't say that to a victim. You don't say that to somebody. I understand the pressing of time and of what's taking place, but it was so, it just felt like another violation, like another, you have to make this decision now. At first, Abby told the detective, yes, she wanted to press charges. According to Abby, he said okay and then left the room. But then doubts started creeping in. The moment the door closed to the room, I just got flooded with anything that could come from this. Like um, the fact that it could be picked up by the media and it would be cop on cop. He's black, I'm white. Um, He said, she said situation. There was alcohol involved. Um, My reputation overall, the department's reputation. And I just, I, I wavered and I couldn't do it. So I had my mom with me. I asked her to go run and get the detective. And he came back in and I told him, I I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can prosecute. And he said, so you don't want to prosecute? I said, I, yeah, I don't think I do. And that was that. So Abby decided not to press any charges. And because she declined to prosecute at that moment, the hospital didn't perform a rape kit or do further drug testing, like for date rape drugs. Instead, she moved to a different precinct so she wouldn't have to see armor anymore. She kept her head down and focused on her job and trusted the department would take it from there. After all, she knew department policy she knew that they would have to initiate a criminal investigation because what Abby had described to that detective and to all those bosses in her hospital room, it had all the elements of a crime. Anthony Armour has repeatedly denied the allegation that he sexually assaulted Abby and said the sex was consensual. And he's declined to speak to us or respond to questions that we've sent him. It took a while for the police to finish their investigation. I got a phone call a couple months after the fact stating he did nothing wrong. And that was it. I remember collapsing to the floor and just crying. Abby was crushed, but there really wasn't much she could do. She had decided not to press charges, and the internal investigation went nowhere. She had some counseling and did her best to move on with her life. She got married, actually to a fellow Phoenix police officer, and changed her name to Abby Dennison. They had a kid on the way, and in 2015, Abby decided to leave the force and tried to put the whole history of that night with armor in the past. But then, four years later, out of the blue, Abby got a phone call. It was some kind of private investigator. And he asked if I uh, would be willing to testify on behalf of another female who was suing Armour and suing the department. And it was very upsetting because I'd gone eight years not thinking about it. 
That woman was Gianna Anderson, whose story you've already heard. And Abby was stunned to hear about Anthony Armour again, and that another woman was accusing him of sexual assault. If Abby agreed to testify in Gianna's case, she might be able to help her out and maybe fix mistakes she feels she made back then. I've carried with me the guilt and the weight of not pressing charges 10 years ago and have wondered if I had pressed charges, if I had said yes and like kept that yes, that he wouldn't have been an officer anymore. He wouldn't have got to do the things that he did to all these other people. And that broke my heart. I didn't have the courage to do it 10 years ago. He got a pass and got to continue his pursuit of power, his pursuit of dominating over women. And so after praying about it and talking about it with my husband, we decided that I would. I would absolutely be willing to testify on her behalf. So I gave a deposition to her attorneys, and but a judge later found or decided that it wasn't relevant. Not relevant? How could that be? We'll get into it just ahead. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. So Abby had wanted to testify, but the judge decided that even though he thought her story was credible, that it wasn't relevant to Gianna's case. He didn't think the incident was similar enough. And then there's the fact that Abby never pressed charges against Armour, and the police department had cleared him of any wrongdoing. So the judge thought Abby's story would unfairly prejudice the jury. And that's why he decided to leave it out. But while the judge didn't feel the jury should hear about Abby's experience, others did. That's where Dave's investigative report comes in, the one about Gianna's case and the memo he had found. We obtained this internal memo showing Armour was accused of sex assault before, in 2010, by a fellow Phoenix officer. When Dave reported on the memo, he didn't reveal Abby's name. He hadn't been able to reach her before the story was broadcast. So that TV news story, that was when Abby first learned about the memo. It's why she took a screenshot. And it's when she read the truth about the Phoenix Police Department's investigation from 2010. I'm reading in there information about... I was intoxicated and I woke up and found him having sex with me... Um, And then as I read on, there's conjecture in it. There's mention of me not wanting to press charges, that my mother was um, somehow pressuring me to press charges, and uh, that I somehow regretted it. The memo was missing critical details of her visit to the hospital. The only reason it, it says in the memo why I went to the hospital was because of abdominal pain. There's no mention in the memo that I went there because of a tampon being dislodged. 
and there was no mention of rape. In fact, the memo that was written by the detective who interviewed her in the hospital says that she, quote, never articulated that she was a victim of sexual assault. Yeah, and that's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Um, If it wasn't sexual assault, I would not have reported it as a sexual assault. But it was a sexual assault. Now, again, remember, she says she spent hours explaining to the police officers who showed up at the hospital exactly what happened to her. And sex assault is listed three times in the first two pages of her medical records. And then there's the informational sheet the hospital gave her, which says at the top of the page in big, bold letters, sexual assault. They asked for my medical files. They have those medical files as a part of their investigation. But... They never addressed that. Until she saw that memo on TV, Abby had always just assumed the department had conducted some sort of criminal investigation into Anthony Armour. But now, a whole decade later, she was finding out that never happened. The 2010 memo stated the police didn't even create an incident report. And what they had written about her in the memo, she says, were straight-up lies. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's gaslighting. It's saying that you don't know what you're reporting. You don't know what happened. So we're going to decide for you. We're going to say what happened, even though they weren't there in that room that night. They didn't investigate it. When Dave reached out to the Phoenix Police Department for comment about Abby's complaint from 2010, they said it amounted to nothing more than what they called inappropriate sexual interaction. When you hear the underlying facts of the case. When I learned about them further, it's an allegation of rape, of pure sex assault. That's the allegation. But when police first tried to tell me about it in kind of their own narrative, they called that inappropriate sexual interaction, which is like, is that sexual harassment? Is that a slap on the butt that's inappropriate? Not not a rape. Abby decided it was time to set the record straight. Soon after learning about the memo on TV, Abby demanded a real criminal investigation into what happened to her that night at the party. And this time, the department complied. Detectives spent months interviewing her, Armour, and other people who were at the pool party. Armour told investigators that Abby never gave any indication that she did not want to have sex or that she said no. Then one day in early March of 2021, they called her with an update. She recorded the phone call. Uh, we just want to catch you up on our review of your investigation. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now we are not going to be submitting charges in the investigation. Okay. Okay. Uh, we had the opportunity to interview you, um, Anthony Armour, and several of the people that were there that night. And with the totality of circumstances, we've run this up through uh, our chain of command over here, and we don't see uh, the necessary elements to uh, submit this to the county attorney's office. Okay. Can I ask um, why? Okay. Um, yeah, he turns things over to another officer who did most of the legwork on the investigation. Of it all, um, 
And so I just point blank asked him, do you believe me? And he said, I believe that you believe you were raped. Do you believe me? I During his 12 years on the force, Anthony Armour was celebrated as a productive officer and praised with commendations. He was once named Officer of the Month in his precinct in 2015. But according to records and summaries obtained by Dave Viscobing, Armour had a history of being abusive against women and not always telling the truth. And so, you know, there's, there's a pattern there of the allegations. They're all kind of different but they seem to be women in vulnerable situations. In one incident, Armour shot a woman after she called police to her apartment. There was another incident where he arrested and took a woman to jail against a supervisor's orders. An internal investigation found he lied in his police report about that incident and lied to a supervisor. He had been internally investigated 14 times and suspended twice. This is a guy that we know has lied in cases. Not a white lie to his mom about why he's late to dinner. About arresting a woman to take away her freedom in another case. He lied about it. He's a liar. His department says it. The county attorney's office says it. In fact, because of that, Armour was on a list of bad cops. A list of officers with misconduct on their records, like excessive force or fabricating information. In other words... Lying. It's called the Brady List. And for Abby, the fact that her colleagues knew this and still believed his version of events over hers is still hard to understand. I'm not on the Brady List. I have, like, commendation after commendation. I have a Chief's Units Award. And to be compared and, like, held up in the same stature as this guy is just, it's wrong. And it just takes away their credibility and my trust in them completely. The Brady List is a tool for tracking bad cops. But how good is a list if no one knows about it? And I was just so shocked. At that moment, I knew that Frances had been sitting in custody, not just for you know, the time that she was convicted, but ever since the police department had this information and then ever since the county attorney had this information for nine or ten months without sending it to me. That's next time on Verified. Full disclosure. I'm Natasha Del Toro. Natasha Del Toro.